Greetings, church and friends of the church. This is the scripture lesson and the sermon um, from the gathering of the Valley Forge Presbyterian uh, community on February 27th, 2022. Uh, the scripture is another part, uh, uh, final part that we're looking at from the second chapter of the first letter of Peter, which we are looking at many pieces in this connected series leading us all the way up to Easter. Um, so this is what the author says uh, in this text that we consider in this episode. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now, you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. So we continue our uh, connected series of reflections on this first letter of Peter, which was written to encourage Christians who are living in these towns uh, and villages and cities where the, the people around them and the cultures they were in were not Christian or Christ-like. The ethics, the norms, the expectations, um, they were very different than the way of Christ. And so this letter is an encouragement to, hey, hang in there, keep, keep, you keep, you keep doing you. <laughs> so this episode, we hear the author say plainly what has been inferred and said more overtly leading up to this point, which is that in being faithful, to God's will of doing what is right, which we considered in the last episode. And being faithful to God's will of doing what is right, all times, it's always the right time to do what is right. We will experience this reality that God does not always, therefore, lead us into comfort and ease, but often in leading us to do what is right, we are led Not to, but through challenge and suffering. Seeking to do what is right, following God's guidance into doing what is right, we are often led through challenge and suffering. For to this you've been called, writes the author, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow, so that you would follow in his footsteps. You've been called to follow in the footsteps of the one who always did what was right and good and godly, even if that meant a willingness to encounter and endure suffering. He committed no sin. He did not choose to do that which was not good or right or aligned with God. He prepared his mind for right action. He obeyed and spoke truth and not fear. There was no deceit in his mouth. He had no ulterior motive or self-serving agenda that would have caused him to speak lies. He made sacrifices. He chose always to serve God's will 
and not those things of human authority that were opposed to God's will. When he was abused, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he did not threaten those causing it. In all things, he entrusted himself to God. His priority was never self-preservation or self-gratification. His priority was never his own comfort or ease or pleasure or preference. For to this we have been called. To follow this example of Jesus. To follow in his footsteps. Who in always seeking to do what was right was often faced with the choice of either ignoring right and avoiding suffering or doing right and enduring suffering. He always chose to do what was right. And that, that's the example that is ours to follow. We don't, we don't choose suffering on purpose as though Jesus invites all his followers to some sort of martyr complex. Rather, we choose to do what is right on purpose, even if that brings with it the possibility of suffering in response. We are to avoid sin, those actions and attitudes that are ungodly. We're to speak truth always, even if it isn't what we want to believe or to say. We are to reject the norm of retaliation and not seek an eye for an eye from those who harm or abuse us. We're not to threaten those who cause harm and suffering to us. As Jesus himself taught, we are to love our enemies and, and bless those who persecute us, to, to seek their well-being and, and not their destruction with vengeance. We, tar, we are to entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. We're not to entrust ourselves to the judgment of the self, because when we do, we will always judge proper attitudes and actions are the ones that serve the self. We are not to entrust ourselves to the judgment of others, because when we do, we will live in search of the affirmation of others. We are judged based on whether or not our attitudes and actions please others or serve their needs and desires. What we should or shouldn't do or say becomes determined by who we commit to serve. And this is so darn hard to not let our desires to please ourselves or to please other people be the judge and the deciding factor of what attitudes and actions we choose for our lives. But Jesus was able to overcome this temptation and propensity that we all have this temptation to judge the decisions about what to do and to say by whether or not it serves the self or serves someone else, whether that's trying to please a, and serve a parent or a child, a spouse, a boss, a friend, another church member, religious or political leader, or even the spirit and legacy of someone no longer with us. Jesus entrusted the judgment about all his actions and words to God and God's will alone. He didn't judge what he ought to do or say based on how it served his own needs or desires or comfort. If he did, he wouldn't have ended up suffering as he did. He didn't judge what he ought to do or say based on how it served the desires or wills of uh, or religious laws and prohibitions of you know, the Pharisees or the chief priests or scribes, these leaders of the religious institution of the day. If he had, 
he'd have sought to please them. He would not have ended up suffering as he did. He didn't judge what he ought to do or say based on how it served the desires and the will and the laws of the centurions or Pilate or the Roman authority as they were the political power occupying his country. If he had served them and judged his decisions based on what served them, he would not have ended up suffering as he did. Rather, Jesus judged what he ought to do and say based on God's ways and will of unity and justice and peace. His words and actions welcomed, embraced, helped, healed, loved those judged and labeled and marginalized by religious and political structures. His words and actions refuted, rebuked, challenged, invited those voices of authorities whom so many of his contemporaries served, judging their actions and words based on the desires and ways of those authorities. His words and actions insisted there was a different and a better way to live together, serving God's purposes and seeking God's kingdom of peace and justice on earth, rather than just settling for what these other authorities and judges offer us. His words and actions invited everyone, Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free, everyone, regardless of race or class or religious affiliation, everyone. He invited to let go of their fear that God, the divine, was fickle or angry or demanding fear that that God's love and favor had to be earned, fear that they had to be perfectly obedient to these other authorities judging their words and actions, lest they risk being cursed or inflicted or handed over to enemies or just forgotten by God. Now let go of that fear. His words and actions freed everyone from that fear-based burden of their imperfection and the worry that it causes, freeing them to live for the sake of righteousness rather than living for the sake of trying to earn away their imperfection and their sin, living for the sake of self-preservation through self-righteousness. He freed us from that. His insistence that God is love freed us from having to be legalistically obedient like that. Do we hear that invitation? Do we feel that freedom? Do we feel free from the fear-based burden of our imperfection? Or are we still carrying it? Are we still carrying that imperfection, the ways that our lives have been sinful and ungodly, rather than aligned with God's intentions? Do we still fear, feel like our imperfection, our mistakes, that, that this is a problem that we have to solve? That we have to focus our time and our energy, whether that's our, our prayers and our thoughts and our actions, outside of gatherings of the church or the prayers and thoughts and actions of the hour we spend together every week on earning our way out of this liability and problem. If we do, if we still feel like this whole God and humanity thing is about us as individuals spending the the days of our lives judging the actions and words we choose based on the demands of a, a parent, a pastor, uh, a historical church confession, a verse of the Bible taken out of context and treated like it was so, some life or death demand upon us. If we still feel that way, Jesus invites us now, all these years later, to see that we are like sheep who have gone astray. That 
kind of fear-based submission to the judgment of others is a sign that we're lost. Or if we trust in God's grace and forgiveness, but we're, we're basing the words and actions of our lives, you know, based on the judgment of somebody else, family, friend, enemy, stranger, then we're, we're also living like sheep who have gone astray because we're, we're listening to another shepherd. But if we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we follow his example of seeking and speaking truth, of setting down retaliation and threats toward others, responding to all people with love and grace instead, Entrusting the judgment of the attitudes and actions and words of our lives to, to God alone, who will always, always, always judge as, as good and right the words and actions that seek peace and justice with love. We are like sheep who are returned to their shepherd. We're no longer lost. And in following the example and the ways of Jesus, our souls are safeguarded, writes the author. That place within us that animates and guides us that leads us into our living is protected and maintained in a way that sustains lives that are real and good and fulfilling and true, even, even as they are hard and challenging. As we see the road ahead here in King of Prussia, as this particular community of Christians together, with some measure of uncertainty, sadness, fear, anger, confusion, excitement, faith, doubt, all these things that we're feeling, we acknowledge this paradox. We acknowledge that in seeking the known and the familiar and the unchanging, we have become lost. And allowing the desires of the self or the voices of the theological and traditional status quo to judge our attitudes and actions as, as a church, we, the church, not just we here at Valley Forge Press, but the church of Jesus all over this nation and world, we've become lost. But thank God. As we commit to following the footsteps of Jesus, willing to step out in faithful lives of doing what is right with intentionality, doing what makes for peace rather than doing what is similar or makes for comfort, willing to suffer risk and change and uncertainty, vulnerability, failure, and the scorn of those who might oppose us. And stepping out of what we know, we return to the shepherd and the guardian of our souls. And this is the blessed paradox. If we know where we are and we feel safe and we feel comfortable and we feel very much at home, trusting ourselves to keep ourselves here, we're lost. But if we aren't certain where we are, where we're going, yet we trust the shepherd who is guiding us through the uncertainty and any suffering that may come on, unto new pastures, we are no longer lost. What this congregation is about to do the ways that we are about to step out of that place of sameness, trusting ourselves, seeking to always be in the comforts of the familiar, and instead to follow the voice and the example and the footsteps of the shepherd along this journey of uncertainty and change, risk, vulnerability, faith, it's going to be incredibly difficult. What's so very life-giving and faithful and beautiful and inspiring. We were lost. We, we know that. The church knows it's been lost. That's not a secret. As congregations of all shapes and sizes and flavors have been looking around for decades now thinking, what is happening? Where is everyone? Why isn't this working anymore? Something isn't right. I think we might need some help. And when there's a surrender 
in entrusting our lives as congregations to God and a willingness to be restored unto the shepherd who will lead us along this road to our future, our souls and our future are secured and safeguarded. The willingness of this community to literally surrender the seats underneath of them that we're, we're holding this church bound in a place of sameness and lostness. And the willingness to restore ourselves as a community unto the guidance and the direction of the shepherd, the willingness to suffer change and uncertainty and risk, it's not only going to bring new seasons of life and vitality here, as our Christianity deepens and comes alive in these efforts to help those who are hungry and, and homeless and housing insufficient and, and those families that can't afford to make ends meet. It's not only going to bring a new life and vitality here, but it's also going to be a bright light shining for countless other lost congregations to see, pointing the way not to our awesomeness, but to the promise that the shepherd will lead through suffering and change unto life that is abundant and full and powerful for the sake of building the kingdom of Christ here on earth. So well done. If you're part of this Valley Forge Presbyterian community, well done, faithful church. With God's help, may all this be so. May God bless and sustain all of us in our journey of following Jesus in righteousness. Amen and peace to all.